Well, good morning, everybody. If um, there was ever a Sunday to go to church in your stretchy pants, it would be the Sunday after Thanksgiving, right? Um, but saying that, I would much rather you all be here um, in this space, not in your stretchy pants, but I would much rather you be here um, than, than having to, to do what we're doing. But here we are, um, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're just a few days removed from Thanksgiving. I hope all the tryptophan has got out of your system and you're starting to look towards Christmas because that's where we're going to go over the next um, four weeks. You've already heard, but today is the first Sunday in Advent, and uh, we're jumping into um, a brand new series, Four Thoughts That Can Still Change the World. And we actually threw a question out on social media this week um, to get a little bit of feedback from you, um, and, and you guys responded. Here's the question. The question was, what do you want more of this Christmas? What do you want more of this Christmas. And we actually kind of forced you into coming up with one word um, that described what you want more of this Christmas. And we got all kinds of answers. Here's just a few of them if you, if you didn't see that. Um, but you want more laughter, uh, family, connection, wisdom, civility, joy. There's a lot of joy there. Quiet, understanding, tenderness, simplicity, love, community, calm, peace, there's a lot of people, a lot of people that answered with peace. And then probably my favorite answer, political silence. <laughs> Not to be confused with political science, but political silence. And it's funny, um, every time um, this time of year rolls around, every time Christmas rolls around, if we're not intentional, if we're not careful, um, if, if, if we're not looking, if we're not paying attention, we kind of get caught up in the craziness of the season, the busyness of the season, and January rolls around, and, and we get to January feeling like we kind of missed something. We feel like, that, like something went over our heads. We feel like something kind of, we just passed through it. We just kind of closed our eyes and, and plugged our nose and, and got through it. And, and instead of experiencing more laughter, Instead of experiencing more peace, instead of experiencing more joy, instead of experiencing more of all of that stuff that, that this season is really about, we, we kind of experience, well, more distraction, busyness, maybe, um, worry, stress, anxiety, maybe even sadness because of something that we feel like we missed. And so I, I want to help with that. We want to help with that. We're going to start a conversation today. Um, and it's not a new conversation for us as a church, but we have taken a little bit of a break from it for over the last three years. We want to start a conversation today that will hopefully lead to some behavior that has the potential to help us avoid that feeling. Whenever January comes, to avoid the feeling of, did we miss something? Did, 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 we, did we get everything out of the season? Did we celebrate? Did we worship through the season like we wanted to? There's, there's so much application um, coming out over the next four weeks. But it all starts with this idea that Christmas changed the world, right? It, like, it literally, Christmas changed the world. And some of us think that Christmas can still change the world. Some of us still think that Christmas has the power to change the world. If we can slow down enough, If we can reflect um, the, the, the story of Jesus' birth in the way 
that we live, if we can reflect the gospel in the way that we live, it can change us, but it doesn't just start, it just it doesn't end with us. It doesn't start with us, but it, it flows out from what Jesus does in us to the people around us. And it can start to change the people around us, some, sometimes even the people that we'll never even meet all over this world. Is about, And we're going to talk about four thoughts that can still change the world. Some of you uh, remember them. Some of you are new to Grace Point um, since we did this last. Uh, but here's where we're going to start. Many of you are familiar with Romans chapter 12. You want to grab your Bible or a mobile device, you want to follow along. Uh, we're just going to look at the first two verses. And I actually want to start with the second verse, and then we'll come back later and look at the first verse. Okay, so Romans chapter 12, look what Paul says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, this isn't really seen or known as a, a Christmas passage necessarily, but this is really the heartbeat of this series. It, it, it's going to challenge the pattern of the way our world celebrates Christmas and instead allows the story, the original story of Christmas, to transform our minds, to transform how we think and eventually live and celebrate during this time of year. Now, some of you are wondering what in the world I'm talking about. Maybe you've never been with us during Advent Conspiracy. You have no idea what I'm talking about right now. So let me take a step back and explain, all right? Um, Advent Conspiracy is a movement amongst churches that started back in 2006. It actually started with three uh, different churches, one from St. Louis, one from Houston, and then one from Seattle, um, where, where the pastors of those churches were already friends. And so they got together. Um, they were actually on a missions trip in um, the Bahamas, suffering for Jesus, while they were talking about this. Um, but, but as they were talking about this, they just started to talk about how they felt like every year when Christmas rolled around, they kind of started to dread it. They kind of started to feel like, can we just get through this? Can we get through the busyness? Can we get through the hecticness, the anxiety, the stress of, of leading a church through something like this? And as they started talking with each other, they started to realize they had similar experiences. And so they actually went back to their congregations and they started talking about it with the people in their congregation and they started to hear the same thing from the people in their congregation. Yeah, we feel like we're missing something. We feel like there's, there's, just, there's just something that's not clicking every year. When we come around to Christmas, they just felt like they were so busy and distracted and overwhelmed during that season that they, they, they were missing something. And so that's, that's where this started. That's where Advent Conspiracy started. Today there are thousands. Conspiracy in France, it's actually called the um, La Rebelle de Noël, which is way cooler name than Advent Conspiracy. But it means the same thing. It means the same thing. Advent is just the word for arrival or coming. It's 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 the season in which we celebrate the arrival or the coming of Jesus. And then conspiracy is kind of where some people get hung up. We're we're not conspiring against Christmas. Um, we're not being subversive just to be subversive. We're saying that would rob us of a Jesus-centered experience of Christmas. Because if, if, if Christmas started with the birth of Jesus, we think that's where our Christmas celebration, that's we, where we think our Advent celebration should find its center in the birth 
of Christ. And we'll get to that more in the coming weeks. But I just, I just kind of want to be clear for those of you who, who may be newer to Grace Point, we're not conspiracy theorists with, with tinfoil hats and bunkers underneath our garage. That's not what this is about. This is not about conspiring or coming up with some kind of a theory that's just kind of out there. We're, we're not Scrooges. Um, we're, we're not going to ball humbug Christmas. We're just going to challenge some of the assumptions that our culture has come to believe when it comes to celebrating Christmas. And so this isn't about anger. It's not about guilt. It's not about disgust. Um, it's, it's just a chance for us to enter to the story of Jesus more deeply and worship him more fully. In fact, I'd, I'd say that's kind of the bottom line for this whole thing. Advent conspiracy isn't about saying no to good things. It's about saying yes to better things. It's not about saying no to good things. It's about saying yes to better things, that, that when we say no to some of the ways that Christmas has kind of come to be celebrated around us, it frees us up to celebrate it in a better way, what we think and what I think the, the, the original story points to, celebrating this in a better way. Um, a big part of this is the giving element. Um, since 2010, um, you guys have given away um, just thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars um, for clean water in Haiti, um, in West Africa. Um, you built a, a kitchen in the Philippines through Trash Mountain Project that has served thousands and thousands and thousands of meals to kids. It's still doing that to this day. Uh, you, you've built a, a, an elementary school in, and a church building in Katiri, Sierra Leone. Our, our collective conspiring has done all kinds of good all over this world. So when I say I think or we think that Christmas can still change the world, I'm not just blowing smoke. Like this isn't, this isn't just some, you know, pastor exaggeration to try and get you, you know, raw, raw hype man. I can take you to places right now where Advent Conspiracy has changed their world. And so when we talk about four thoughts that can still change the world, that's what we're talking about. That when we enter into this together, when we enter into this conspiracy together, it really can change the world. And I'll be honest with you, at the very beginning, from the very beginning, this piece of the, the Advent conspiracy is, is a little bit of a risk for us this year. The, the giving piece. We've been planning this for a couple years now, not knowing we'd be in the middle of a pandemic. And, and I was talking to some of our pastoral staff a couple weeks ago, just wondering, you know, maybe do we, need to, do we need to punt this to next year? Do we need to hit the, the pause button on this because of that? Um, our operating budget isn't exactly flourishing right now. Um, end of the year giving is, is usually when we can make up for any shortfall. And there's just so much uncertainty everywhere we go right now. But we think God is calling us to this. And so we're just going to follow. We're, we're going we're gonna to see where he takes us. We're going to obey where, wherever he takes us. And we'll just, we'll just trust that he has a plan for all that other stuff. All right? So real quick, here are the four thoughts that we believe can still change the world. These are the four tenets of Advent conspiracy. And again, some of you know these. Some of you, this will be new. Uh, worship fully is the first one. 
We want to make the worship of Jesus the center of this season. We'll talk about that more here in a minute, but this is where Christmas starts, right? We, we just sang about it. God sent his son into this world as a helpless baby, and it changed everything, and that draws us to worship him. Secondly, we spend less. And the idea here is not that we, that we quit buying gifts completely. That's not what we're talking about. It means we cut back and we don't buy so much. We, we stop spending money we don't have. We don't get into debt. And we, we stay within our means by, by spending less. The third one is we give more. And some of you think, okay, it's, it's a good thing they don't let you handle the money, Tim. How in the world can you give more by spending less? And we're not talking about, we're, we're talking about giving more relationally. We're talking about putting more meaning and thought into our gift giving. We, we give our time in the relationships with the people that are closest to us. We, we give our time and energy and focus into that. And then the last one is love all. With a, with a money that we don't spend on gifts that no one will remember in six months, we're going to invest in loving people that we may never know by, by meeting real, tangible needs all over the world that will not only be meaningful and tangible to them in six months, but in six years, in 60 years, in 600 years. So worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. Those are the four thoughts we'll explore over the next four weeks, but it all flows from this idea of worshiping fully. So I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about how we worship Jesus fully this time of year, okay? And at its most basic level, worship is giving God the worth he deserves, the worth or glory he deserves, okay? Giving God the worth he deserves. That includes our time, resources, energy, talents, leveraging all those things to bring God the worth or glory he deserves. And, and, and most of the time, and, and I don't know if we necessarily do this intentionally, but most of the time we think of worship as something you do in a building for an hour on Sunday morning, or, or you do in your living room on Sunday morning for an hour, right? And it, and it includes music and prayer. Sometimes there's communion. Sometimes, you know, there's a baptism. Um, and, and it's most definitely that. But the New Testament points more to the way that we live our lives as worship. Paul says um, in, in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So according to the New Testament, it's less about participation in a worship service, even though that's important. And it's more about commitment to living a, a worship-filled, Jesus-centered life. Every day, not just one day a week. And because worship is more about how we live our lives, if we're not mindful, if we're not intentional, if, if, if we're not paying attention, we can actually find ourselves worshiping something that isn't God. We can, as, as, as Blaise Pascal says, that, that there's this God-shaped hole, this God-shaped vacuum in, inside of all of us, and we try to fill it with all kinds of different things, but it can only find its true home. It can only find its true worship in God. In, in Romans 1, Paul talks about men and women who reject worshiping God and decide instead to worship created things, which is essentially what idolatry is, right? It's, 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 it's worshiping the created instead of creator. 
And so it's all throughout the New Testament that, this, that, 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 that we push on this. And as we come to Christmas, every single year, every single year, our culture gets caught up in idol worship, in, in the hustle and the bustle of the season and the shopping, the gift giving. And because and, we're not only giving our time to this, we're not only giving our money to this, we're giving our energy, our resources, our lives to this without even knowing it most of the time. It's like, it's like we've shifted our worship from creator to created. And, and listen, I'm not being scroogey about this. I'm just saying, let's think about doing it in a way that puts creator above created. Let's make sure they're in their proper place. It really goes back to Romans chapter 12. What Paul says, how, how can we celebrate Christmas in a way where we're not conforming to the pattern of this world, but instead we're, we're, we're being transformed? We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Instead of being conformed to the pattern of this world, the pattern of this world this time of year is consumerism, it's reckless debt, it's overconsumption, it's all those things that you see all around us. And, and you kind of see this, um, this pushing back on that kind of worship in the original Christmas story, okay? Jesus um, was born in the shadow of the Roman Empire, right? He was born um, a first century peasant living in first century Palestine, and people living in that culture knew who the one true Lord was. It was Caesar. It was Caesar Augustus. So you would either worship the emperor or face the consequences. You would either bend the knee or face the sword. And not to mention all the other local deities, all the, all the local, you know, lowercase g gods of all the different tribes that they worshipped. I mean, first century Roman Empire was about as pluralistic and polytheistic as you could get. But then you come to the gospel accounts of the Christmas story. And we're given a completely different picture. And, and a lot of times, you kind of have to read between the lines. You kind of have to take history and read it next to um, the gospel accounts, or you'll miss it. But we're given a different picture. Um, one, one example, Luke tells us that the shepherds are out, you know, uh, minding their sheep, they're minding their flocks at night, and, and suddenly an angel appears. And what does the angel say to them? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then a whole bunch of angels show up, and they all declare together, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, the, the interesting thing is, you see this language um, on Roman coins, you see this language on Roman documents from the first century. Um, when Caesar was coming to town, the announcement of his coming, of his arrival, would be something like this. We bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I mean, one of the, one of the, uh, the goals of the Roman Empire was to, to conquer, to subdue the world so they could bring about the Pax Romana. You studied about that in history, the Roman peace. They, they wanted to bring about peace on earth through war and dominion, right? So what, what was the angel saying to the shepherd that night? Part of what he's saying is that 
Caesar is not Lord. This newborn baby is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Caesar is not the Savior of the world. Caesar is not the Prince of Peace. Jesus is this little baby, helpless, lying in a manger. He's the one. His is the life, not the life of Caesar Augustus. His life is the one that brings good news, that brings joy for all the people. The angel's declaration that night was absolutely an announcement of Jesus' birth. But it's also pushing against one of the most prominent forms of idolatry in the first century. This was so countercultural then. But, but, but it was the first thing that the shepherds heard. Christmas literally started with rebellious worship. The angels literally started the birth of Jesus, uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth with rebellious worship. And, and, and I think part of worshiping fully this time of year is calling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to rebel against some of the empire of the 21st century, to rebel against the little case G, gods, and little case L, lords, of our culture, the empire of more, the empire of, of consumerism, because it's declaring to the world that Amazon and Nike and Apple and Macy's and consumerism is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we're not mean about it. We're not, we're not angry about it. We're not negative Nancys. We just live our lives in such a way to connect to the story of the shepherds and, and, and Joseph and Mary and the Magi, all the characters in the story that we see, worshiping Jesus fully. I mean, I, we, there's so much we could say about those, those people. We could spend an entire weekend on each of them. But let me just give you one word that I think kind of um, ties them all together. All the characters in the story uh, of the birth of Christ. And that word is faithfulness. They were faithful, every single one of them, and how they responded to the story that God was writing through the birth of Christ. I mean, Joseph took Mary as his wife, even though shame would follow them for the rest of their life. When Mary um, heard of the miraculous conception, she wasn't worried about the gossip or, or what people would say about her. Her simple response was, God, I'm your servant. Do what you want. The shepherds um, immediately left their post to go worship Jesus. The Magi protected Jesus from Herod and went and showered him with gifts. All of these people at great personal sacrifice to themselves faithfully responded to God in that moment. Their act of faithfulness was a part of their worship. So, so maybe, I don't know, but maybe a part of our worship this year, as, as bummed as we are that we can't be together in person with everybody right now, maybe part of worship is, is making it a priority to faithfully get up every Sunday morning and to prepare ourselves for worship, to, to come together online and then see what God does. I mean, gathering together like this is temporary, so, so maybe part of worshiping fully this Christmas 
is showing up with a positive, faithful attitude in a less than positive situation. Maybe part of, of worshiping fully this Christmas is continuing to meet with your small group and talking through all of this. Hey, how, how are you applying this in your life? How are you applying this in your family? How, what, is, what does this look like for you? And, and encouraging each other, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. What, what does it look like for us to do that during this time? If you want to, um, you can go to adventconspiracy.org. This is their website. There's actually some group material. It's all for free. You can use it um, as a springboard for discussion in your group. I think hearing and discussing how this is landing with other people around you is encouraging, um, uh, even maybe even challenging for, for us during this season. If you're not a part of a group already, start one. Start one. I mean, call some friends, call some neighbors together, invite them to join you, and just, just start talking about this, uh, unpacking some of this stuff with each other. Just see what happens? Like, like, you don't need our permission to gather with people and, and talk about Scripture and talk about the story of Christmas and how that applies to us through this filter, through this lens today. But regardless, regardless of how you faithfully respond to the story, to Jesus, to the arrival of Jesus, it all comes back to this idea that we find in Romans chapter 12, right? Here's, um, here's the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is such a rich idea, so many layers to it. I mean, personally speaking, these words combat all the little idols that sneak into my life this time of year. I mean, I felt them sneaking into my heart this Friday. I mean, I wanted to get on Amazon and look at all the stuff that I wanted, but, but it, it also gives me an alternative, right? It's, it's not just a don't do that kind of verse. It's also a do this instead kind of verse. Um, we like to think idolatry as something that doesn't exist, in, in, in 2020, right? It's, it's not really a thing anymore. And, and the idols in, in first century Palestine might have looked different than today's idols, but today's idols are no less today's idols, especially at Christmas in America. And if we're not mindful about what we're worshiping, I think it can take us down all kinds of roads that I don't think we want to go down. And this goes back to, to where Advent conspiracy started. I'll just, I'll just give you one example. Christmas is always a busy time of the year, and COVID makes it even crazier this year than it normally does. But just think about the collective time. Think about the collective energy just in our church. Not, not, not greater Topeka, not Kansas, not the United States. Just think about the collective time and energy, the collective stress, the collective anxiety that comes with gift giving. Think about how that affects us, not just as individuals and not just, but, but collectively. What does that do? And all of that stuff originates from a lie. And it originates from the lie that we are first and foremost consumers, that we were created to consume. And if we're not careful, I'm including myself in this. If we're not careful, we take everything that makes Christmas meaningful, family, laughter, 
joy, being together, the traditions, all of those things that make Christmas meaningful, and we sacrifice them on the altar of the God of consumerism. And in Romans 12, Paul gives us a better way. I, I, like the hope of Romans 12.1 is that first and foremost, we weren't created as consumers. We were created as worshipers. Again, Blaise Pascal, right? There's this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. We're, we're not consumers. We are worshipers. The word bodies in Greek is somata. It means our entire lives. He's not talking about our physical bodies. He's talking about our entire lives, getting at this idea of taking our whole self, our entire being, and laying it down on the altar. And I know that's kind of hard for us to imagine because worship for us isn't, you know, altar, I mean, animal sacrifice isn't a part of our worship. But it does push against this, this compartmentalized understanding of worship that we bought into, that it's about you know, singing songs for an hour on Sunday morning or Saturday night. That, that, that wouldn't make any sense for first century worshipers. It wouldn't make any sense because there was no such thing as a compartmentalized sacrifice. You wouldn't go to the, to the priest and say, well, just take, just take the leg and I'm going to take the rest of it home with me. You couldn't compartmentalize your worship. It, it was all or nothing. It was all or nothing. So, so part of what Romans 12, part of taking what Paul says in Romans 12 seriously is understanding that it's not just about singing songs or praying or listening to a message on the weekend. It may start there. It may include all of that, but that's just a small part of it. It's just a fraction of it. Our worship takes part. Our worship takes uh, place all throughout the week with our entire lives. And, and Paul makes it clear, this is urgent. Like the very first verb he uses, I urge you. This isn't, this isn't some kind of sheepish request. Like, guys, I think you should kind of maybe think about this. Like, if you get around to it, maybe. No, he, I urge you. If, if you understand what God has done in history, if you understand the mercy that's been extended to you, I urge you to do this. You could, you could say another, another way to, to, to say that word is beg. Paul is, is begging us to, if we truly understand the faithfulness of God, if we truly understand the grace that God has shown us by sending us Jesus, like it has to change how we worship. It has to change who or what we worship. Which brings us back to what we're going to explore over the next few weeks. Spending less, giving more, and loving all. We're going to do this together while we're apart. And I know that sounds cliche, but I really do want us to do this together. I want us to, to as individuals, as families, to figure out what it looks like to live faithfully and worshipfully at Christmas, God knows our world needs people who are going to live like that right now. So I just, I just want to invite you into this. I want to invite you to prayerfully consider how God is calling you to step into some of this stuff. We can worship Jesus in so many ways this Christmas. How we love each other, um, how we take time out of the busyness just to get quiet and, and just be. There's so many ways we can worship this Christmas. I guess my question is, how are you, how are you going to worship fully this year?
And maybe, maybe it's just one small step. Maybe it's just one small thing. How are you going to worship fully this year? If you go back to, to the angel's announcement to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you great good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Jesus has come. The Savior has come and he brings with him healing and salvation and joy. And that's really good news. That's really good news for us. It's really good news for the world at a time where the world needs really good news. So let's live out the good news together. Let's, let's, let's resist conforming to the pattern of the craziness that happens around us. Let's worship fully. I want to end by just reading a portion of the book here in the chapter of, of worshiping fully. It says this, like Mary, we will sing to our redeeming God. Like Joseph, we will obey without regard to the cost. Like the shepherds, we will leave our busyness to worship Christ. Like the Magi, we will confront anything that stands in the way of our worship, whether worldly empires or our own fears. We will celebrate, we will sing, we will dance, we will pray and meditate and love our way into a story that is of great joy for all people. Christmas changed the world the day Jesus was born in a cold, dark, stable Christmas can and will change the world again. And that, that is how we, you and I, can worship fully this year. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we just pause today. And we position our hearts in line with the angels declaring the good news will cause great joy found in Jesus. And God, just as they did in those days, sometimes I, I fail to truly grasp the magnitude of you coming as a baby. But I, I thank you for it. I thank you for that sacrificial act of love. God, our desire, my desire, and maybe it's just mine, is that your spirit would come and ignite a holy expectation in us, a renewed sense of your goodness, um, a reminder of your deep and abiding love for each one of us. You came to be with us. So may our hearts be filled, full of expectation for what that could mean this year for our world, for our city, for our own hearts. God, would you redeem would you restore, would you replenish us? May your first coming and the promise of your second coming bring about the love and the joy and the peace and the laughter, the calm that we all want this Christmas. God, would you show us what it looks like for us to step into the story, to be a reflection of the birth of your son, to be a reflection of the good news that you proclaimed that first day as we worship you fully. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus.